Hello and welcome to the Light Body Healing Show. I am your host, Dr. Lara May, and today I have with me Dr. Anshul Gupta. He is a board-certified family medicine physician with advanced certification in functional medicine, peptide therapy, and is also fellowship trained in integrative medicine. He has worked at the prestigious Cleveland Clinic Department of Functional Medicine as a staff physician alongside Dr. Mark Hyman. I'm so excited to have him here. Welcome, Dr. Gupta. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's my privilege. Yes. So let's jump right in. Uh, You are here to talk about your new book, Reversing Hashimoto's. And so let's just get started with how you became so passionate and tell us about your story and why this is so important to you. Absolutely. So it's actually all started off with my own health struggles. So this goes all the way after my uh, doing my family medicine residency. I started working in a pretty busy private family medicine practice. You know, at the time I was seeing a lot of patients, you know, was not paying any attention to my health. But then after a couple of years into it, you know, I started having my own health issues. The main thing was that I was having this horrible, horrible stomach pain. The stomach pain was so bad that I would often double over with the pain. And I was thinking of going to the emergency room because the pain was so severe. But with my training, I knew that they could not do anything for me. They will only give me some pain medication and send home to kind of just follow up with, you know, like, you know, my regular doctor. And then, you know, like I was having other health problems, like I was started gaining weight, even though I had not changed my diet, he was eating the healthiest, still I was gaining weight. I was getting more and more tired to the point that I had to take a nap during the day just to function through the whole working day. I was kind of becoming a little bit brain foggy where I was like, feeling that mental clarity was not exactly the same as it used to be. Now, those issues were pretty new to me, and I was just 32 at the time. So I said, well, I'm my own doctor. Let me just fix me. So I started taking some medications to help myself. They did nothing. The pain was the same. They was not getting better. So then I decided maybe I'm not the smart doctor. Let me talk to these smarter guys who are all these specialists. So I went to one specialist, out a second specialist, did it tons of testing, endoscopies, ultrasounds, blood work, allergy testing, everything was normal. Nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And everybody kept on adding more and more medications. So at one point, I was taking between five to six medications in a day, and none of them were working. I was still having all the same problems. I suffered through these things for more than a year. And I was like, I was really scared at the time. I was like, do I have to live the rest of my life this way? Will I ever get better? And I was totally confused what to do next. Then actually somebody shared with me about functional medicine. They said, maybe you should explore functional medicine because these guys basically see patients like you who have conventional medicine cannot help them out. So I explored functional medicine, got got trained into it. And then, you know, I started using those protocols onto myself. I changed my eating habits, you know, I started taking some supplements, did some testing to figure out, you know, what my root cause of the problems were. Within one month of making these changes, my pain was gone. I was having no stomach pain at all. Within six months, you know, I lost 40 pounds. I was off all medications and had more energy in my life than I ever had before. I even completed a 5k rugged maniac which I could not even imagine doing in my life. So that was a life changer and a game changer for me. I was like, wow, you know, like from being hopeless to kind of filled with energy and kind of not knowing what to do with my health, 
I totally was under control. That was a huge eye opener for me. Mm-hmm. That was in all mainly with functional medicine, right? Exactly. That was yeah. all functional medicine, kind of using the protocols with diet and lifestyle and stress management, supplements, mm-hmm. testing. Basically, kind of knew more about my health than I ever had before. So, when did you decide to really focus with Hashimoto's patients? So then I started working in the clinic, functional medicine. And what I saw was that, you know, uh, for some reason, I was seeing a lot of Hashimoto's patients over there. And I saw similar plight in them. They were all doing everything the doctors were telling them. They were all taking medications, but they were all suffering. They were all feeling tired. They had weight issues. They had brain fog issues. They had gut problems or stomach pain, IBS-like problems. And nobody knew what was going on with them. They had been struggling with these for a long time. I was like, wow, they have similar symptoms as mine and they all are hopeless and helpless. They don't know what to do. So I need to do something for them. So that's where I started researching that why Hashimoto's patients are not feeling better, even though they're taking medicines, there has to be a problem which we are not looking at. Mm -hmm. So that prompted me to kind of do my research on Hashimoto's patients and develop a protocol for them so that I can help them out. So why is that? So let's sort of dig into that. Why let's, I guess, start with first, what is Hashimoto's just to lay the foundation? Absolutely. So Hashimoto's is actually an autoimmune disease of your thyroid gland. So thyroid gland is this butterfly shaped gland, which is located in everybody's neck produces this hormone called thyroid hormone. And, uh, This thyroid hormone is responsible for a whole bunch of things in the body. Thyroid hormone is responsible for producing energy. It is responsible for brain development. It is responsible for the whole mechanism or whole functioning of the body. It controls our fertility. It controls our gut health, brain health, everything. So kind of very essential to our existence. Without thyroid hormone, we practically would be dead. So in Hashimoto's, what happens is that, you know, our body starts producing antibodies, which starts a very slow destruction of the thyroid gland. And with this slow destruction, ultimately what happens is that one day our thyroid gland is not able to produce enough thyroid hormone to sustain our bodily functions. And that's the time most people get diagnosed with it. And they are started on this medicine called levothyroxine which presumably they think that could be helpful for Hashimoto's patients. Mm-hmm. And so why do we know why that this destruction and this attack starts happening? Good question. So that's where, you know, I was digging in deeper into that, you know, why, why, you know, because most of my clients, whenever they went to these specialists or endocrine specialists, why did I develop Hashimoto's or why did I develop thyroid problem? And they have no answer. They said, well, we don't know. One day your body decided that, you know, it's going to start producing and killing your own thyroid gland. And I was like, really? That doesn't sound like, you know, a reasonable thing to do. Why would the body do it? (laughs) So that's where I started digging deeper. And what I found, what they were like, they were, so Hashimoto's actually is a disease, which is an interplay between your genetics and the environment around you. So yes, some people are more genetically prone to get Hashimoto's, but then those people get exposed to certain things in their environment, which triggers, you know, the body's response to those environmental factors. And then they start producing antibodies that destroy the thyroid gland. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about those triggers. So what are some of those triggers? Because I feel like that's really going to really sort of connect the dots for some people. Absolutely. So I have categorized those triggers into five major categories. So first category is what we call as food sensitivities. 
Now, we all know that food is medicine, but we also know that the wrong foods can also be the reason or a trigger for Hashimoto's. So these like, you know, food sensitivities or the food triggers, you know, which we know about are like gluten, dairy, soy, corn, sugar, processed food, processed meats, all of those things, you know, can we have seen that they can trigger Hashimoto. So that's the first category, food sensitivities. The second is stress, whether that is whether that is physical stress, emotional stress, you know, or psychological stress, all of these stress combined together can actually trigger Hashimoto's. So third category is nutritional deficiencies. So the body needs certain vitamins and minerals to function properly, especially your thyroid gland. And most of us are low on those nutrients in our food and in our diet. And that's, again, one major reason that, again, triggers, you know, our Hashimoto's. The fourth reason is what I call the toxins. So our world today is laden with toxins. There's so many toxins which are in, around in our environment. Doesn't matter, you know, like a person, you know, who is trying to live a clean life, eating organic and things, but still, you know, our environment does get exposed to them. So toxins trigger Hashimoto's. And the last one is infections. There are certain infections which can trigger Hashimoto's, like certain viral infections, like Epstein-Barr virus infection, which we call as mononucleosis, <clears throat> that we know that can trigger Hashimoto's. Then parasites in the gut can do it. Lyme disease, you know, and other infections, bacterial infections can do it too. So these are the main five big categories that I know for sure can trigger Hashimoto's in certain people. So is it possible for Hashimoto's to be misdiagnosed and missed by our practitioners? Like as, um, cause I know for myself a few years ago, I felt like I was having some hypothyroid symptoms, the fatigue, the unexplained weight gain, the, you know, the brain fog. And it just seemed like no matter what I, I was sort of similar to you, no matter what I did, nothing really worked, even though I knew a lot of them were quote unquote, good things went to my, you know, Western medicine physician who I I have a great relationship with. And she did some, you know, basic testing, but then it all came back, quote unquote, normal. And so essentially, you know, what got me to my answer was digging deeper with different testing. So let's talk about, I want to come back to um, some of those triggers, but I also want to talk. So let's talk about testing now. So what can people do if they feel like, They've been to the doctor and they've been told, oh, your, your thyroid is normal, but they're still having the symptoms. Great question. So for that, like, let's first kind of understand, as you said, you know, like, you know, do we like, you know, misunderstand Hashimoto's? So most people think Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism are exactly the same situation, which is, you know, absolutely wrong. So hypothyroidism is only the situation which tells us that your thyroid is not able to keep up with the demand of bodies. Uh, for thyroid hormone, right? Now, mm -hmm. Hashimoto's is one of the reasons which ultimately leads to hypothyroidism. But the root cause is not that, you know, your thyroid is not functioning. The root cause is actually that autoimmunity, those antibodies that are destroying your thyroid gland. So what happens is that, you know, like most of the physicians will only order a single test, which is the TSH, mm -hmm. which is just to know whether, you know, like your body is hypothyroid or not. They are not checking for Hashimoto's at all. So for Hashimoto, there are specific tests that needs to be ordered. So what happens is that we actually miss the opportunity to diagnose Hashimoto's at an early stage. So we diagnose Hashimoto's at a very late stage by the time the thyroid gland has, to be, has been destroyed, you mm -hmm. know, for a long time. 
And finally, you know, like it gets diagnosed and now the only treatment available according to convention doctors is to supplement them or give them more thyroid hormone. Now, they're mm-hmm. not doing anything for that autoimmunity. That autoimmune destruction still continues to the point that several years down the lane, the thyroid is completely destroyed and people's thyroid dosage just keeps on going up and up. So that's mm-hmm. typically what happens. So the testing piece is very important. So most of the doctors only check for TSH, which is definitely not appropriate test to do it. We have to do other testing. So first of all, even for thyroid, the other tests that needs to be done are free T4 and free T3. These are the hormones which are produced by thyroid, the thyroid gland and gives us a complete picture of what your thyroid hormone levels look like in the blood. But for Hashimoto's, we have to check for specific antibodies. You know, the two antibodies that people can get checked, one is called TPO antibody, which is called thyroid peroxidase antibody. And the second one is called thyroglobulin antibodies. Now, if you have these antibodies, this is basically kind of diagnostic saying that, okay, you have Hashimoto's, but most people will not get those checked. And the worst part is that these antibody levels are easily checked with each and every lab, which is out there. You don't have to go to a special doctor. You don't have to kind of order specific labs. Your insurance will cover it and, you know, Mm -hmm. it can easily be ordered. So everybody, you know, who has symptoms which are related to thyroid, they should have these antibody levels checked or complete thyroid tests checked so that we can actually, you know, like get hold of this Hashimoto's early enough. We don't Mm -hmm. have to wait to like, you know, very late stages. Right. Because would you say that it's a reversible condition? I mean, you know, we all know that inflammation can be healed. So, I mean, if you do, you think it's something that's, you know, it's not like a one and done, like forever doomsday scenario, is it? No, absolutely not. You know, like I have worked with so many patients, you know, where we are able to kind of get their antibody levels back to normal And as well as, you know, like the thyroid hormone medicines are even stopped. But it all depends on what stage, you know, like we are actually diagnosing this Hashimoto. Mm -hmm. So let me share the story of this client. You know, this was like a young client, a 36-year-old, had Hashimoto's, you know, which was just diagnosed two years ago. But her symptoms were ongoing for the last five years. You know, like she was feeling tired, she was gaining weight, you know, and, uh, and she was just having brain fog. She went to the doctor, doctor said, oh, well, you just delivered a baby like a year ago. And, you know, you just have this mom brains. I was like, what is this mom brain? She said, yeah, that's what he called it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. That was horrible. So and then he did the blood work. Everything was normal. She said, but something is wrong. He said, no, no, no. You just need to take some chill and relax. You're fine. And the symptoms kept on increasing. And she kept on going to doctors after doctors. The blood work was again normal. Finally, after years of going to the doctors, finally, this, you know, like the blood work caught up and a TSH was abnormal. Now, and the doctor said, okay, let's put you on this, you know, thyroid medicine. You know, she was hoping that it will help her out with the symptoms. Nothing changed. Finally, she asked her doctor that, you know, like I read that it might be Hashimoto. She said, oh, no, don't worry about it. You know, you're on the right medicine. Your blood work looks normal. Mm-hmm. She you know, can you just order those antibody levels? He did order the antibody levels. They were super high. More than 2000 were antibody levels. And she freaked out. She called the doctor, said, well, what should we do about these antibody levels? And he said, nothing. You're on the right medicine. Your blood work is normal. And she was like, come on, you know, like, are you not worried about these antibody levels? He said, nobody can do anything. Ultimately, you know, like your thyroid is going to burn out. The antibody levels will come back to normal and you'll be okay. She said, so you're telling me just to wait till my thyroid is burned out. And uh, he said, yeah, that's what basically you can do. 
So she was like, you know, uh, just like, you know, uh, very freaked out about it. She said, okay, let me dig. So she came to see me. So we kind of, what we did was that we figured out like what was going on with her. We did a detailed evaluation. So a couple of things that came up was that, you know, post-pregnancy was the first time her symptoms were, were happening. So we have seen with several females that after delivering their child, they develop Hashimoto's. Moms, you know, like keep on telling the doctors, but obviously everybody calls them mom's brain and nobody do anything about it. But that's the first sign that Hashimoto's trigger. So that was her first sign that was happening. She had underlying inflammation in her body, which again, nobody was asking about it. So anyways, we developed a protocol for her, you know, started on my step, you know, three step process of reversing, you know, like her triggers, working on her thyroid and other things. Four months down the lane, she repeated her blood work. The antibody levels, which were 2000, came back all the way to 200. She got a call immediately from an endocrine office saying that, hey, you know, Mrs. XYZ, you know, we want to repeat your blood work because I think there is an error. And she was like, why? What happened? She said, your antibody levels from 2000 came back to 200. And, you know, that never happened. So you want to repeat it. She was like, no, I'm working with this doctor who actually claims that he can bring it down. No, 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 that doesn't happen. If you want to repeat it, she said, I'm not paying for it again. She said, yeah, don't worry about it. Your insurance will pay for it. So she repeated the blood work and obviously those antibody levels were back in 200. Mm-hmm. So then the endocrine doctor was totally stumped. He was like, I don't know what you're doing, but you know, I've never seen, you know, this happening in my life. And she was like, yes, I'm working with this functional medicine doctor. And this is exactly what we're working on. So this had happened so many times with my clients that their antibody levels or Hashimoto's, you know, like comes back normal or, or like, you know, decreases significantly and the doctors are stumped at what is happening with them. Yeah. And the, so the thing that sticks out to me about that story too, is her trigger, which I think, you know, we could all just say is a uh, one form of stress because even though, you know, bringing a child into this world is one of the, one of those natural things on the planet, <laughs> it's still stressful and stressful on the body in different ways. And then also, like you said, postpartum, you know, adjusting to that new and beautiful life can be very stressful too. So let's talk a little bit about all the different ways that we can be stressed and how that really does wear us down over time. Because I think a lot of us, and I know for myself, I worked, uh, you know, as a graveyard pharmacist for um, about 10 years total. And I was in complete denial. I was like, no, I'm a good sleeper. I sleep great during the day. And finally, my body just said, no, you have to stop it when it started with um, the, the hypothyroid symptoms, which it turns out I didn't, you know, have it, my thyroid was out of balance, but it wasn't because my TSH was out of whack. <laughs> and, and then I learned that my adrenals had totally stopped making cortisol. And so I want to, you know, talk about this, how some of us don't think that we're stressed, but there's, there are different ways that our body is stressed and, and slowly over time, it can really have a huge effect on our well-being. Absolutely. And that's, you know, like one of those important things that I always like to discuss, you know, with my clients when they first sign up with me, I always tell them, you know, like we always have been told stress is normal and stress cannot do anything. But time and again, the research now proves that the stress is not only important for psychological problems, but stress can actually make physical changes, you know, to our body. Several health issues, you know, like thyroid, autoimmune diseases, heart diseases, mental disorders, 
you know, obesity, everything has to be linked with stress now these days, just because we are stressed too much. Now, you made a very important point, you know, like, you know, that females do get pregnancy. And again, you know, like the intent of saying that, okay, well, pregnancy can be a trigger is it doesn't mean that, you know, females should not become pregnant. What I'm trying to kind of come up with saying then is that, you know, pregnancy is definitely a big change that happens in a female's body. You know, their hormones completely change, you know, from what they were before pregnancy, during pregnancy, and suddenly after pregnancy, there's a huge shift in those nine months to 12 months that, you know, they go with a big change in their hormonal shift, which is a big change for their body. You know, and for some females, again, that can be a big stressor or a big kind of, you know, trigger for stuff. And the second problem that happens is that most of the females do not prepare for pregnancy. No, they, they do not prepare their body. Now, pregnancy, again, you are growing a child inside of you, right? That is a very demanding child. You're growing another body. So you need to be nutritionally nutrient rich and everything should be good. Well, most of us do not work on that aspect. So that's another reason that, you know, the female body is not prepared for the pregnancy. But there are other forms of stress, you know, like, you know, even exercising, what we see is that, you know, excessive exercising, people who are running for marathons after marathons, like every day, or like, you know, doing extreme workouts, their inflammatory markers are also on the high side, because that extreme exercising, again, can release inflammatory markers in your body, raise inflammation, and can also kind of trigger an autoimmune condition. Again, that doesn't mean that nobody should exercise, it is just the balance that you have to do. Now, if you have been that person, you know, like who have never exercised and suddenly you think, okay, well, I'm going to run like 10 miles today. Well, that might not be the best thing for your body. But if you start slow and then slowly build it up, you know, then it will work out. So that's where, you know, again, a healthy discussion shouldn't happen between a person and their doctor into understanding like, you know, what their body is like and how they can start with that exercise protocol. So that's the physical stress that everybody talks about. Now, the next level of stress is about what I call as corporate stress. So we are living in this corporate world. Everybody says, no, stress is normal. You should keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, aim for more. You know, like this is healthy stress. There is no kind of healthy stress for a body. We are too busy in our jobs. You know, like, as you said, we are working like odd hours. You know, we have this ample amount of screen time all the time, which doesn't let us sleep, you know, good quality of sleep. So all that psychological stress that we go through each and every day is too much for our body to handle. And the other problem is that we do not do anything to de-stress our body. That's mm-hmm. another problem. Nobody is kind of talking about, you know, like, can we do de-stressing exercises, being in nature, doing meditation, doing deep breathing, right? You know, all of those things are very, very powerful, but nobody's doing it. The only way to de-stress everybody is that they all, again, go on their mobile phones or like go on a laptop or a TV and then just kind of start watching something. But they don't realize that that is not helping their body or mind to relax. It actually goes on an overdrive that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people out there, their definition of de-stressing is mind numbing. <laughs> and it's not an actual outlet to help your body, you know, release energy. So I guess, you know, what do we what do we mean when we say de-stress? And, and to me, it's the giving our minds and our bodies that opportunity to blow off steam to, like you said, breathe deeply. I, I can say for myself, I'm a certified yoga teacher. Um, but I just started a new practice with Kundalini yoga, uh, in late summer and early fall. And I can say do it because Kundalini yoga incorporates a lot of different breathing exercises. And I think that was one of the most 
altering and changing things for me in such a good way that finally helped my body and it's adrenal fatigue situation that's going on really start to recover. I finally started to not feel so brain foggy and exhausted all the time. And it wasn't crazy movement, you know, coming from the yogic flow tradition and, and focusing on the asana, as we, you know, we say in the yogic tradition, I finally started focusing on the breath work, the prana part and everything shifted. So I definitely think I encourage people out there that even if you are doing yoga or you feel like you're doing some good de-stressing things, but things maybe aren't shifting for you, maybe explore, you know, one of the other limbs of yoga <laughs> because there's eight of them, right? And, you know, asana is only one of them. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. So that's what happened with me also. You know, like I started a yoga practice, you know, again, the physical form of yoga, as we will call it you know, like just doing the physical poses. And that was a good starting point. But then later on, you know, I realized that I have to be in the moment. And that's where, you know, like the meditation practices came into my yoga practice, and the breath work that we talk about. And that was like amazing to me after doing my breathing, breathing exercises, doing my 10 minutes of meditation, I felt so much centered, you know, that was amazing. My energy just was off the roof. After that, I was able to actually focus more, you know, like that was a bigger issue, you know, we are just kind of doing so many different things, you know, like attention span is so small now these days. And just having those centering practices just changes everything, you know, like you improve your focus so much. And it's gen general, you know, like you feel so good, you know, you're so much peaceful, so happy all the time, so much energetic. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So since we're on the subject of, of triggers and and sort of addressing them, I want to circle back to uh, the gluten sensitivity. And I, you know, I just want to say again that, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't have to be a celiac or, you know, ulcerative colitis or any of these, I, what I consider like the big boys of, of gut, of gut problems and gut disease to have a gluten sensitivity. And I think uh, that's another sort of misnomer out there that, that I feel like constantly needs reminding is that you can be sensitive to gluten, to soy, to eggs, to, you know, I mean, we're all sensitive to nitrates and processed foods, but, but specifically gluten without necessarily having, you know, one of these, uh, big diagnoses. So, um, to, can you talk about that a little bit with the food sensitivities and the gluten? Absolutely. So the two different concepts, you know, that people get confused about is one is food allergies and one is food sensitivities. Now, when we're talking about celiac disease, that is a concept about food allergy, where basically, you know, like, you know, your gluten is poisoned completely to your body, where you consume gluten, your body just starts like a, a complete, you know, like chaotic inflammatory process and destroys your body, which is like something to peanuts, you know, you know, eat peanuts, blow up like a balloon, land up in the emergency room. This is what celiac disease is for gluten. So there's something called food sensitivities, where when you consume gluten, your body says, hey, gluten, I don't hate you, but I don't like you to be here. So they start a very, very slow process of kind of producing antibodies just so that they can shift gluten out of their body because they don't like it. But in that process, they start a very slow destruction of their own body. Now, in celiac disease, because the destruction is so heavy, it can be checked by antibody levels. And, you know, that's the reason they are positive. But because the, in food sensitivities, the destruction is so slow, the traditional tests do not get caught up. 
And that's the reason you have to do some food sensitivity tests to actually check if you do are sensitive to gluten or not. So regular doctors only order food allergy tests or celiac tests, which definitely misses the food sensitivity part of it, which a lot of people can have it. So right. that's very important to kind of know these differences, you know, so that people can know about it. And that's a very misnomer that, okay, people come back to me. I got checked for celiac. I'm fine. I don't have to avoid gluten. I said, no, 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 no. You know, like, you know, you have, you might have gluten sensitivities. Time and again, we have so much research which connects gluten with Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, even though those people did not have celiac disease, their celiac disease was negative. But when they eliminated gluten from their diet, their antibody levels improved, their thyroid numbers improved. So that tells us that, you know, the present gluten is not good for thyroid or Hashimoto's and definitely should be avoided. Yes. So uh, let's talk about the next big one, which is dairy. And I didn't include that in my list earlier, but that is a huge one. And I think a lot of people struggle with this one, I think. I know. And that's the worst thing. Whenever I tell people like, you know, okay, you have to avoid dairy or completely eliminate dairy. And they said, really? Cheese also? Yeah, cheese. Uh, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, yes. There are cheese alternatives, but, you know, because I'm also dairy free and I know those cheese alternatives just taste like cardboards. Yeah. So <laughs> they're not good. So there is nothing like natural cheese, but unfortunately... You know, this is what we have done to our dairy. You know, the way we we treat our livestock is just horrible. And that's the reason all of the dairy that we get is totally inflammatory. We feed them the wrong feeds. You know, they are always stressed out. You know, we are always putting more and more pressure on their body to kind of produce, you know, like dairy or milk or anything like that. So even though we are trying to kind of, you know, do the right thing by not injecting like hormones or anything, Still, you know, like the way the livestock is treated, that's the reason all our dairy is very, very inflammatory. And that's the reason, you know, like for Hashimoto's patients, again, I recommend them to avoid dairy because, you know, uh, unless you have your own cows and you can kind of, you know, have them like, you know, in your own farm, that's a different story. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, you know, like dairy is definitely very inflammatory. So I was going to ask you what your opinion of raw dairy is, because I do, I'm, I'm good friends with several farmers that do raise, we'll just call them happy cows. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and there, there has been some interesting research out there about the raw. And what I mean by raw dairy is, you know, not homogenized, not pasteurized. And so just, you know, for all of you out there, make sure you check your state laws because not all raw dairy is actually legal in all states, which is kind of crazy. Um, so what is your opinion of the raw dairy? Is it you think it should still be avoided if you're in that acute inflammatory stage or like forever? So, so again, you know, again, it depends on person to person. So mm -hmm. if, you know, some people's antibody levels are more than 1,000, then for those initial four to six months, I do recommend them to avoid dairy because that way we can reduce their antibody levels very quickly. Mm -hmm. But once mm -hmm. they are in that phase, you know, where they have reversed it or where, and their antibody levels are really low, then I tell them to, okay, you know, start introducing dairy if they have a good source of dairy. And as you mentioned, you know, like local farms, which have good practices and, you know, which are like, you know, uh, just raising happy cows, then that's perfectly fine. Some people just cannot tolerate dairy, you know, like by inherent nature, that's a different story. But for most of the other clients, once they are out of that acute phase, once we have worked for them for four to five months, then most of them are able to introduce dairy back into their diet. 
Yeah. And I would encourage everyone to just to give it a chance through like an eliminate what we call the elimination phase when you eliminate it from your, from your diet and from your day. Uh, because I'll say personally, I was again in total denial about my sensitivity to dairy, but after eliminating it, so many things changed in my body and in, in my brain. And specifically, I was a chronic allergy sufferer. Like I would get the seasonal allergy infections every time the pollen blooms. And when I eliminated dairy, all of that actually went away, which tells me that it was the dairy causing the, the underlying inflammation. And then the pollen on top of that was sort of the straw that was breaking, you know, my, my immune system's back, so to speak. So, um, so just, you know, give it a chance. I would say like with all of these things, come to it with an open mind. If you've been struggling for a long time and you're not feeling good, then I think, you know, if it's worth it to you to feel better, then it's also, you know, it, you deserve to give yourself that opportunity to heal and be open about all the different things that, that could come from it. Oh. Absolutely. I was similar experience with mine too. Once I limited dairy, like since day one of my life, I always had eczema problem. You know, as a child, my mom used to say that, you know, I just had to lather you with so much of that cream from head to toe that I was like, you know, I was just not like, you know, comfortable putting that cream. But that was the only thing that would control your eczema. Mm -hmm. Even growing up, I always had eczematous rash. I will always had cortisone cream on hand. As soon as it runs out, I was just freaking out. I need to get more. Once I eliminated dairy, and it has been now what, like 10 years since, you know, like my whole life has changed, you know, like after it changed my life. I have never used cortisone cream, no eczema at all. The whole eczema situation is gone. It was like initially I didn't even realize it. My, my actually wife said, you know, we have this kind of cortisone cream, you know, like and you used to use it every day. And now it's like expired. This was like one year ago. I was like, really, I've not used a cream for one year. But before it was like everyday affair for like 30 years of my life. So this is like the power yet, you know, some people, you know, this is huge. Eliminating dairy can be a life changer. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought um, your eczema up too, because I feel like, uh, again, this is just something that I don't feel like is widely understood and known that, that autoimmune issues can, can manifest themselves in so many different ways. Like, I think we sort of like the thyroid is sort of known as autoimmune. And like we talked about earlier, like celiac is sort of known as being autoimmune, but even little things like and, and to a person that has eczema or, you know, psoriasis or some of these skin issues, those aren't little though. Like you said, it was an everyday thing and it, and, and it affected you every single day. So maybe let's touch on briefly, like what are some of the other ways that autoimmune can sort of, um, rear its head in our body and sort of let us know that it's there that we might not think of. Right. So again, you know, like these are the symptoms with, which are not commonly present. One of those is skin manifestations which is like different kind of skin rashes, you know, like or eczematous rashes that people can have uh, at different points of the time. So that's first thing. The second thing is allergies, you know, or what you call a seasonal allergies. Oh, as soon as the season change, you know, I get this runny nose or sinus infections or bronchitis a couple of times a year or something like that. Those are all manifestation of an autoimmune disease, which is brewing in your body mm -hmm. and just kind of, you know, gets his ugly, ugly head up uh, when, you know, the, some trigger is there. But definitely it's an autoimmune process which is going ongoing. The third thing, you know, is infertility. 
no a lot of people don't know that infertility can actually because of an underlying autoimmune process so that's also huge you know infertility is on a big rise the reason being it's an autoimmune condition now which nobody is looking at it in that particular way so that's another important manifestation that you know we all have to look about then mast cell disorder that's again a big thing you know which is happening all around us which again is linked to autoimmune disease so mast cell disorder is basically like you know we have these mast cells in our body which which uh, once they open up they release these mediators or chemicals which causes different kind of symptoms which can be runny nose or runny eyes or redness in the eyes or random rashes random hives so those those are all signs of symptoms of mast cell disorder which again you know is commonly linked with autoimmunity and then brain dysfunction adhd lot of people think oh you know like we have this huge huge rise of adhd in our you know like in everybody around us which is again the underlying problem can be autoimmunity which again do not get diagnosed for several years so these are all hidden signs or symptoms that you know mm-hmm. i have seen a lot of my clients or once actually we start talking about it and they look back on their life oh yeah you know i had these symptoms you know like several years ago but again i no i never knew that they can be because of an autoimmune condition So um I'm I want to sort of uh shift again to I want to go back to asking about some of the testing. So we talked about the thyroid testing and and we also you touched on at the beginning the interplay between maybe a genetic predisposition and the environment which is also called epigenetics. And so how what's what sort of genetic testing would you recommend? and or i guess maybe the question is we'll start with do you recommend genetic testing for all your patients and and if not or if so then what other testing um do you complement that like do you also test for um like the epstein bar and the mold and the parasites and all of that all at once or sort of take us through and i know it'll be it would be patient specific but maybe like just a general um some general brush strokes <laughs> absolutely so no i do not order genetic testing in all of my patients okay so the way i understood was that let's say a person has a particular gene which predisposes her or him you know to hashimotos or any other medical disorder now we cannot change the gene right you know what we can only change is we can control the environment around it yes this is information but beyond that you know it doesn't give us good tools to use so for me checking for the environment which can be the potential trigger in a person's body is much more important now the, you know i am not saying that genetic testing is useless or people should not do it absolutely you know genetic testing can be useful in people to know okay well are they predisposed to any more diseases they only have one disease which they know about right now but they might have other diseases which might be hiding in there so let's like for example like you know the, uh, another patient who came for hashimotos disease you know we were working on things we order a genetic test on her now her like again when we are talking about celiac disease celiac disease panel was negative she said well i don't feel that i should be avoiding gluten because my celiac disease is negative now when we did the genetic testing the genetic test actually showed that she had the genetic makeup which will predispose her to be reacting to gluten than anybody else so i said see you know like your genetic makeup is telling you actually if we have not done the test we would have not known about it mm-hmm. so that's one way that it could be useful for us you know for people you know who are not convinced or like other things you know about it 
So and now the good part is that we have several different kind of genetic tests available, which gives us useful information. You know that we people can implement directly into their protocols. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think there is value for genetic testing, but not everybody needs to get tested for it. I think that's more depending on person to person. Now the other testing which could be useful, which will definitely you know like you know talk about what triggers you know might be present. So the first testing is looking at the gut. You know, because we all kind of understand is that gut is where everything starts. So it's very important to get a good gut analysis. And again, regular conventional labs, you know, cannot check your gut properly or a stool test. But these functional medicine labs checks for gut, you know, in much more detail. There is there are at least thousands of papers now these days, which tells us that the gut microbiome determines what health issues you will have. So these, you know, like gut analysis tells us about the gut microbiome, tells us about leaky gut tells us about parasites, you know, like tells us about candida overgrowth, whole bunch of things, which can definitely needs to be addressed for somebody, you know, like for Hashimoto's or thyroid to get better. Then the second testing is obviously looking at these toxins, especially mold toxins. Mold toxins, again, are on a rise. We didn't know about them before, but in the last decade, new research suggests that mold toxins are a big trigger for autoimmunity, for thyroid problems. Research kind of, you know, tells us about it. And most people do suffer from mold toxins in their body and they don't know anything about it. So checking for mold toxins is important. Environmental toxins and heavy metals. Those are again top part of the toxin panel that people with Hashimoto's or thyroid should do so that they know that how much toxins they are dealing with. Mm-hmm. And then comes the infectious panel, which includes the Lyme disease or Epstein-Barr virus or other bacterial infections to kind of see if you're dealing with any other infections in your body. That's, you know, like that's, that's kind of the last thing that I order uh, to first bef- before working on all the other things. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, that's really comprehensive. And in case anyone's missed it yet, the whole functional medicine approach is so much more comprehensive than what you will get with just a typical Western medicine physician. And again, we love our Western medicine physicians and, and we, you know, we recognize how overwhelming it is to be in that field um, currently. And so we're not in any way dogging on them, but they're doing the best that they can with the tools that they have. And so if you're a patient out there that just hasn't gotten the results or um, feel like you've been heard, then please definitely um, you can go to the Institute for Functional Medicine to look up, you know, a functional medicine physicians or practitioners. It doesn't have to be a physician, but in your area, but also to um, Dr. Gupta works remotely and you see patients remotely as well. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. You know, like after working for several years in the Cleveland Clinic, I realized that, you know, they're not enough functional medicine doctors who are focusing on kind of reversing Hashimoto's or they're not aware of all the different protocols. So that's where I opened this virtual practice where I can see from, uh, from any patients from all over the country. So now people don't have to travel all the way to Cleveland to see us. They can just kind of sit at their home and get all those um, consultations right from their home. You know, they get all the testing done right at their home. You know, they get all the good quality supplements, the whole protocol that is needed for them to get better. They get right, you know, at the comfort of their home. Excellent. So um, again, your book is called Reversing Hashimoto's and I've read it and I think it is a very powerful tool that everyone really should um, include in their toolbox because 
they're, you know, it's just so full of so information, so much good information and really putting a new light on this whole concept and this, and this subject matter. And I think I'm going to follow up with one last question before we um, ask you to tell us everywhere where we can find you. Um, We didn't talk about the mitochondria connection. And so let's talk about that really quickly before we finish up today. Absolutely. So again, like going back to like, what is Hashimoto? So in Hashimoto's, as we spoke about is that the main reason, you know, we get symptoms is that, you know, these antibodies. Now we think these antibodies are only destroying the thyroid gland. But in reality, actually, if we dig a little bit more deeper, these antibodies not only destroy the thyroid gland, they also destroy a very teeny tiny organelle, which is present in each and every cell of your body called mitochondria. Now, what is mitochondria? So mitochondria, as I explained, is very teeny tiny organelle present in each and every cell of our body, and which is called powerhouse of the cell. So mitochondria is responsible for producing energy. Without mitochondria, again, we will not live. So basically, thyroid hormone is a signal for mitochondria to function. And that's where when I said if the thyroid hormone is not enough and we will die, actually the ultimate reason is that the mitochondria dies and we cannot live without it. So this connection between the thyroid and the mitochondria is broken down in Hashimoto's and that actually results in all the symptoms. Now you can compare this kind of, you know, compare this to a car. Now in a car, you know, how you have a gas pedal and how you have an engine. You push the gas pedal that gives signal to the engine to produce more power and your car actually moves or moves faster. Now in your body, your thyroid is actually the gas pedal and your mitochondria is actually the engine. So the thyroid sends signal to your mitochondria to produce more energy or produce energy so body to function so that your whole body can function properly. Now in Hashimoto's, not only the thyroid is destroyed, but you know, like the mitochondria is also destroyed. So your gas pedal and engine both are destroyed. Now the conventional medicine, what they're doing, they're only giving levothyroxine. So they're giving more thyroid hormone. So that means we are pushing more on the gas pedal. But we are not doing anything to fix the engine of the car. So it doesn't matter how much gas pedal we push on, you know, the engine cannot produce more energy. So it will actually not move forward. And that is precisely the reason that even after taking medications, Hashimoto's patients do not feel better. In fact, all the symptoms that are present with Hashimoto's are not the symptoms of thyroid. or They are actually the symptoms of mitochondrial destruction because mitochondria is responsible for producing energy. If you don't produce energy, you feel tired. Now, mitochondria is also responsible to burn all the fat, all the carbohydrates. Now, if you don't burn those properly, then what happens? You, you cannot lose weight and you accumulate more fat, right? The mitochondria, actually the highest concentration of mitochondria is in your brain. So if your mitochondria is not working, your brain doesn't work. So that's the reason people get brain fog. Now, mitochondria is also responsible for your gut health, you know, like your, you know, like your movement of your gut. Again, if they don't work, you know, like then that's where, you know, we get constipation or IBS symptoms. So you see all these symptoms which are associated with actually thyroid are, the, are actually the reason because the mitochondria is not working. So that's where the three-step process which I have made not only focuses on the thyroid, but also focuses on regenerating mitochondria. And that's the reason we get much more better results, you know, with Hashimoto's patients. Yes. Oh, what a perfect place and a perfect way to bring it all together. So everybody out there, definitely go pick up Dr. Gupta's book, Reversing Hashimoto's, right? That, that's right. 
Yes. Reversing yeah, Hashimoto's. <laughs> and so tell us uh, where else that people can find you and work with you and all those good things. Great. So you people who are ready to improve their Hashimoto's, get their life back, you know, right now I'm providing limited number of free evaluations calls with me so that I can explain to my process. You can go on my website called anshulguptamd.com and you can click on the link where it says book a free evaluation call with Dr. Gupta so that, you know, you can get a free evaluation call and you can get started with me. Um, uh, I have a YouTube channel posting a lot of different videos to educate you about Hashimoto's and thyroid disorders. I am also on Instagram, so you can follow me over there. Again, a lot of good information I share. That's my goal to educate and share information for people to kind of get them better. But all these resources are available at my website called anshulguptamd.com. And make sure that, you know, if you are looking for reversing your Hashimoto's or improving your quality of life, then take this offer, you know, which we are providing about free valuation calls right now. Excellent. Again, thank you so much. And I'm sure that people will be reaching out left and right because I know how, um, you know, just how widespread this issue is right now. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And again, my name is Dr. Lara May the host of light body healing and thank you for being with us today and if you are looking for working with me then you can go to drlaramay.com and i also am a functional medicine practitioner and love helping people heal their inflammation so um again thank you so much and we would love to have you back because i feel like we barely scratched the surface there was a whole list of questions i didn't get to <laughs> Absolutely. It was a pleasure chatting with you. You know, like I know that you are a good resource for a lot of folks, you know, sharing good information. And I'm so glad that I was able to come up and share a little bit of information about, you know, Hashimoto's and thyroid today. Yes. All right, everybody. We'll see you on the next show every first and third Thursday of the month at News for Your Soul. Thank you. Bye, guys.